0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, December the 20th, 2022. It is currently 1.40 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And if I'm going to be transparent with you, if I'm going to be extremely honest, if I can be brutally honest with you right now, I am completely and totally exhausted. I am frustrated. I am irritated. I am bothered. I am discouraged. I am... Uh, probably a little bit angry. Uh, there are so many negative emotions. And you may be thinking, oh, well, I've been listening to your podcast. You're frustrated. You're exhausted because you're dealing with internet issues. Or you may think it, deal, it deals with something else. But no, 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 no. Let me make it very clear. And I want to make sure you hear me correctly. I am irritated, frustrated, exhausted, discouraged, despondent, I, in some ways, just finished with Christianity. No, 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 I know, I know, no, 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 no. You need to hear what I mean by that. I don't mean actual Christianity. I don't know. I don't mean Christianity, you know, that comes from the Bible, historical, biblical Christianity that deals with Christ. No. What I, what I probably should say, now I, I, I use this term frequently um uh, and but a lot of times I I've explained it and then in other podcasts I just refer to things as Christianity. And when I say Christianity what I typically mean is just Christianity in general. The external manifestation of Christianity within churches, within the broader world of, of evangelicalism within the broader world of fundamentalism, whatever particular theological stream you want to find it. A lot of times when I speak of Christianity, I'm speaking of just the general external manifestation of Christianity inside the church or inside a theological stream or something along those lines. I am not referring to the truth, the absolute truth of Christianity found in the scriptures, the absolute truth of Christianity found in Christ. So I need to make a distinction between sometimes what I refer to as Christianity, what I, I should call it, and I have talked about this in other podcast episodes, churchianity. See, we have the truth of Christianity. It is true. It, 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 it's unchangeable. It is right there in the word of God. It is found in Jesus Christ. It is Christianity. It is absolutely true. But Christianity was placed into the hands of people. And here's what I know about myself and I know about what I know this about all of you. You are fallible. You are sinful, just like I am fallible, just like I am sinful. And when fallible sinful people get their hands on Christianity, we start twisting it and molding it into our own image and we start creating our own language that we claim is Christian, but in many cases it's not Christian. It's, it's not Christianity, it's churchianity. So churchianity develops its own language, its own way of speaking, claiming that it's connected to biblical Christianity, but all it is is nothing more than churchianity. And churchianity has made me frustrated, irritated, despondent, discouraged, depressed, and just completely exhausted. Because so much of the time when I hear all of the speaking happening within Christianity, right? Or again, as I should say, churchianity, I hear the sermons, I hear the Christian podcast, I hear Christian radio. What I am listening to is nothing that really is connected to biblical Christianity. In many cases, listen, listen to me, listen to me. It is simply... Words that really have no meaning. It's just a bunch of words that sound spiritual, that sound important, that sound significant, that sound important. But at closer examination, if you'll if you'll take those phrases, take those words, because we, it's it's just Christian, it's just churchy ease. it's just churchianity, it's the language of churchianity. It's not even the language of Christianity anymore. It's the language of the church. It's the language of the external manifestation of Christianity that has been now molded by people. There, I, I want you to understand there's just a drastic difference between historical biblical Christianity and what the church has become. And when the church talks, sometimes in its sermons, sometimes in its podcasts, it's just speaking, it's just speaking the language of the church. It's just phrases and words that sound so spiritual, and people say, ooh, ah, oh, amen. And people applaud, and it sounds so wonderful, and it sounds so spiritual, like, oh, that touched my heart. Ooh, that moved me. But all you have to do is take those words, and then look at them closely. Examine them. Take them to their logical conclusion. And you know what happens over and over and over? They're just empty words. They're meaningless it's just like, blah, 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 blah. There's nothing really there. It's, it's, it's all show. It's all performance art. There's really nothing there. And I've just grown so tired and exhausted by it because it, it's just you just listen to it and you're like, I, you don't even hear how convoluted and confused you've become. You don't even understand anymore, but they just keep talking and they don't realize it. Let me give you some examples. If you've been listening to our ongoing series, well, we've done like 43 parts now on the proper distinction between law and gospel, understanding law and gospel. Recently, we reviewed a podcast episode where they were talking about law and grace. And it was the most convoluted thing I'd ever heard in my life. It goes something like this. God has given us his law. Now, if you're lost... Well that that law is going to condemn you. It's 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 horrible. You're you're hopeless, you're helpless, you're condemned by it. But if you are a Christian, that law now is a means of grace. This becomes bizarre. And now you have been given the power to obey the law. You can obey all of God's commands. You can do it. You can obey it. So you're like, wait a minute. So if I'm lost, I can't obey, uh, uh, obey it. I am I'm condemned by it it's helpless but if I become a Christian now 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 it's a means of grace I can I can obey the law if I can say the word correctly I can obey the law I can do it and so my hope really as becoming, it's almost like without they even realizing what they were saying is, see, as a as a non-Christian, you have no hope because you can't obey the law and you're going to be condemned by it. But your hope as a Christian, here's your real hope, is that now you can obey the law. You can say yes to God and you can say no to sin and you can do it. And so instead of giving us the gospel, it gives us our, our hope is that now we are given the ability not that we're given imputed righteousness, but we're given the ability, almost like an infused righteousness, which is just Catholicism. Now we can obey the law. And then here's what, it gets all convoluted. So I can't keep it. Now that I'm saved, I can keep it. I can obey it. I can say yes to God. I can say no to sin. And But then, however, wait a minute, I can't actually do it perfectly. So wait a minute. I can't, but I can But I can't really, because, well, it requires perfection, and I can't be perfect. But I can't obey the law, even though I can't really obey it. I can't, I can, but I can't, and they never really articulate. Can you? Can't you? How much ability do you have? How much ability do you not have? Another confusing thing within the world of Christianity. Okay, we are saved by an imputed righteousness. By faith, the righteousness of Christ, his perfection is imputed to your account. Please note, it's imputed, right? Meaning, I'm still a sinner. I still have a sinful nature. It's imputed to me. But then we come along and say, you're saved by an imputed righteousness. However, the proof of imputed righteousness is where we test your practical righteousness. Well, that makes absolutely no sense. It's imputed, If you test me, I'm going to fail the test just like I did prior to having the imputed righteousness. I'm going to fail the test after I get the imputed righteousness because it's imputed. So why are you giving me a test saying, if you don't do this and you don't do this, you're you're not a Christian. You're now saying that I wasn't saved by an imputed righteousness. I was saved by an infused righteousness. Because if if you really believed I was saved by an imputed righteousness, you wouldn't test me. You would be testing the one from which I got the imputed righteousness from. Because it's their righteousness you would be testing. You wouldn't be testing mine. Why would you test my righteousness to see if I'm saved? Because I was saved by an imputed one. You would have to go to the source of the imputed one and go, well, that righteousness is perfect. So you're good. You're saved. But we don't do that. We say, we're saved by imputed righteousness. We're not Catholics. And then we turn around and go, however, if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you're probably not saved. Well, then then you're, then you're I'm saved by a practical righteousness, not an imputed righteousness. It's just doublespeak. It just becomes nonsense. Hey, you can't keep the law. But you can keep the law. But you really can't keep the law. Hey, you're saved by an imputed righteousness, but the proof of your salvation is a practical righteousness. And if you don't have enough practical righteousness, then you never got an imputed righteousness because we test you instead of testing the source of the imputed. And it's just doublespeak. Then it then it's this crazy thing. I, I give you another example. Okay, see, so you had a sinful nature, but when you get saved, you get a new heart. Okay, well, if I get a new heart, does that get rid of the old nature? Well, no, you have a new heart, but an old nature. Wait, I have a new heart. So what happened to the old heart? Well, the old heart is gone. So a new heart, but an old nature. Wait, 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 how does this work? How does it, so where is depravity in me? Where is it not? And once they start trying to explain it all, you're like, wait a minute, I have a nature, I have a heart. I have I have depravity. I <laughs> I have, I have oh, and, and and I have a new nature, so do I have an old nature? Well, no, you have now you have a new nature and an old nature and a new heart. Okay, how does this all work? And when they start trying to explain it, it becomes convoluted and confused. It gets frustrating. It's mind-boggling. And it gets exhausting just trying to talk to people about this because you're just going in circles and circles. You're like, "So, can I keep the law?" Yes but you can't keep it perfectly. Well, if I can't keep it perfectly, that means I can't keep it because the law demands perfection. So can I or can't I? Wait, you're saved by an imputed righteousness, but I'm going to test your practical righteousness. Well, if you really believe I was saved by imputed, you would be, wait, that's confusing. Wait, so I have a new nature, but a new heart, but an old heart, a new old nature, new nature. Like, can you explain exactly the makeup now that I have now as a safe person? Who knows? You're going to get 50 different answers. All of that is maddening. Now, why am I mentioning? Why did I spend 12 minutes explaining all of that? Because I want you to just see that within churchianity, there's just these words and phrases we use. These words and phrases that make absolutely no sense. I can give you another example. See, when you become a Christian, you now have the Holy Spirit, and he leads you into all truth. Well, if the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth then shouldn't there be agreement within the body of Christ? But there's no agreement. We don't agree on anything. And if I truly believe that it's the Holy Spirit leading me into all truth, then any conclusion I come to about doctrine or theology would mean that it's an infallible interpretation because I was led to it by the Holy Spirit, meaning that you can never tell me that I'm wrong. (laughs) Right? Because it's supposedly the Spirit who led me to that truth. So now we're all these Christians walking around basically claiming to be infallible that our conclusion came from the Holy Spirit. Well, we tell everyone else who also claims to be saved, who also claims to have the Holy Spirit, that they're wrong. Well, how can they be wrong if the Holy Spirit's leading them into truth? And then so then we have to say, well, they don't have the Holy Spirit. So then we have to say, they're not saved. And so we're the only ones who are saved. And we're the only ones who now have the infallible. It just becomes maddening. The more Christians talk, the more you say, do you realize you just, you're just you just like twisting everything up into this massive convoluted mess? So I want you to understand that, and I want you to understand that because I'm sitting here looking at, well, I'm supposed to do another episode on hindering the presence of God. Remember, we started We started this entire thing started because I was listening to a podcast series uh, from the late uh, Adrian Rogers, a sermon from the late Adrian Rogers that's now placed in a, po- a podcast format, and he was talking about practicing the presence of God. Remember how convoluted that all was? Moses got it, then Moses lost it, but Moses hid the fact that he lost it, but, but Adrian Rogers never showed us where Moses lost it, and then he tried to say, here's how Moses got it back, but he, he went to the passage of Scripture before Moses even actually got, it was all convoluted and confusing. It was a mess. Well, so we looked at that. That was crazy. Well, while we were reviewing those messages in this series, Christian Post put out an article on five ways. In fact, I'm going to open it here. Five things, I should say, that hinder the presence of Christ. Five things that hinder the presence of Christ. And once again, guess what we found? We found ourselves into the world of Christianese, of, well, I should call it Churchanese, Churchianity, and just all of this weird language. So let me try to see if we can, we need a chart to figure this one out. We need a chart for everything in Christianity because you can't follow, when Christians speak, it just becomes double speak, meaningless. It's just, it's, it's insane. This one is so confusing. All right. So let me try to make sure we understand this. So God is omnipresent. All right. So he's present everywhere at all times. Check. We got, we would agree with that. Then they'd come along and say, sometimes though he manifests himself in a special way. We'll call this the special presence of God, right? Like in the Shekinah glory or in different ways. So we have the omnipresence, and then we'll call it the special presence. Then we have the internal presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling every believer. All right? So we have the omnipresent, he's, ev- he's present everywhere at all times, the special presence. That shows up where he's especially present at some uh, certain times. The special presence of God as a Shekinah, of glory, different things. Then we have the internal indwelling of the Holy Spirit and every believer. But then they want to add a fourth category. So there's the, there's the omnipresence, the special presence, and the internal presence of God uh, and the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling all believers. But then they wanted to add a different presence. And we don't even know what we really call this one. We'll call this the, I don't know. We'll call this the, it's not special. I don't even know what we call this one. We'll call this the extra presence of God. They may be offended by using that term, but here's some presence that, that even though you've got the Holy Spirit, even though you've got the omnipresence, you want to seek this presence. You have to desire this presence because this presence will give you power. This presence will give you understand this presence will will take you to the next level like you're living your christian life but if you can just get this next presence boom so it's all confusing because wait well so which so when is he pre- when is god present when is he not present and it seems like that okay he can be present and i can lose his presence he he's here i gotta do well which presence am i losing do i lose the indwelling presence well no he's always there well if he's always there then isn't he always present? Do I lose the omnipresence? No, the omnipre- he's, omni- he's always omnipresent. He's always indwelling. There's a presence of his indwelling, but you can lose this extra presence. And you're like, well, what? So if I lose the extra presence, then I lose all of this other stuff. Just trying to follow the logic has been maddening. Uh, They would refer to this, according to the article, as the presence we get from absolute surrender, which is even more maddening. If you absolutely surrender, then you get this extra presence. But what would absolute surrender look like and how does anyone actually get it? Once again, this all just, it it just becomes crazy. So we started working on the article. And if you remember, it reads this way. Most believers understand that God is everywhere, but the Bible is also clear that the power and presence of Christ can fill the heart of believers who completely surrenders to him. Please note, this is not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is an extra presence. And this one only shows up when you absolutely surrender. And remember, we trace this or track this back to the book Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray, which is majorly problematic. Remember, we did a little bit of detective work here. It says, his presence changes everything. So it's no secret why the enemy of our souls want to hinder his presence and power in our lives. Here are five things that will hinder the presence. Now, I'm not gonna review each one of these because my intro's already gone 19 minutes, but there's a reason my intro's gone this long because I wanna go beyond just, I'm tired of talking about their whacked out ideas about the presence of God. I want you to see that this is a symptom of a greater problem, that within churchianity, We just use phrases and words and ideas and they have no connection to historical biblical Christianity. In many cases, they don't even really connect to anything biblically. It's just some made up tradition. I don't know what it is, but here are the five things. We've looked at a couple of these. Number one, secret sin hinders his presence. Now, we won't even get into all the confusion. Then that gets into a whole other kind of confusion where we've been dealing with. All right. Number two. The fullness of the flesh hinders his presence. the fullness of the flesh will hinder his presence. So I, again, this becomes so subjective and double speak and confusing, but we won't go back and review review it today. all right, 20 minutes in I know but but all everything I've talked about is so important. Here's number three. So according to the Christian Post. The third thing that can hinder the presence of God. Now, again, I, I'm assuming, is it, I don't think it's hindering the omnipresence. I, I don't really, can it hinder the special presence? I don't think it can. And number three, I obviously can't, can it hinder the internal indwelling of the Holy Spirit? I, I, I don't, I don't think it can, but here's the third thing they think will, will hinder this extra presence that only comes about when you absolutely surrender. Here we, here, here, here we go. A lack of desperation hinders his presence. A lack of desperation hinders his presence. I want you to hear that again. A lack of desperation hinders his presence. All right, so now here's the situation. You have to be absolutely surrendered. You, it appears you can't sin in any meaningful way. You can't have any secret sin, you can't have oh you can't have the fullness of the flesh because if you do any of that you lose this supposedly extra presence. But now a lack of desperation. So that now if you don't are you if you're not desperate enough you lose it. Here's what they have to say and I quote. When we lack desperation about pursuing God, we are demonstrating that the pursuit is not important enough to make it a priority. When Isaiah cried, oh, that you would rend the heavens, he was desperate. When Ezra and Esther fasted and cried out to God, they were desperate. When Joel called a sacred assembly, he was desperate. When the early disciples waited in the upper room, they were desperate, or they were just obeying what they were told to do, but I digress, all right. The sad reality is that the average Christian gets by with just enough to keep them lukewarm, but not on fire. <laughs> there's no there's no expo, ex there's no explanation. There's no, ex- I'm laughing at myself because I've had words with obey. I don't know why I'm having problems with obey. I don't know why. Okay. But uh, desperation, uh, they, they seem to feel like, and I, I begin, this just is subjective because there's no explanation here and how we measure our desperation level, right? It's not like I get an app going, okay, your desperation is currently at 82%. Unless you get that to 100%, you're going to hinder the presence of God. This extra presence is going to be hindered. This extra presence is going to be pushed away. We've got to get your desperation up to 100. Or does it come back and go, hey, hey, your desperation is at 20. You're at 20%. And unless you get, and now some people say you're creating a straw man. This is ridiculous. No, this is, this is what happens in Christianity. Whenever you take the words people use and you really examine them and take them to its logical conclusion, they almost always fall apart. They almost always unravel. If you'll stand back from a distance, you'll be like, "Oh yeah, I do have the power to obey the law. Wait a minute. As long as I don't examine anything, I can say that. Wait, so I have a new heart, but I have an old heart. Or is the old heart gone? Do I have a new nature? Wait, do I have an old nature? How many natures do I have? How many hearts do I have? Wait, Wait. what, what, am I in bondage? Am I not in bondage? What can, what can? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all confusing. Wait, so I have the presence of God, but I don't have the presence of God. It's all confusing. Now to add to all of that confusion, we get something else. You've got to be desperate enough. How desperate are you for God? Now, if you're not desperate enough, God's like, sorry, you don't get my presence. So now my ability to have this extra presence comes upon my ability to be desperate enough. What's the level? And that's a reasonable question. It's just like when people say, you're saved by an imputed righteousness. You're saved by an impute, imputed righteousness, but we're going to test your practical righteousness. You don't have enough practical righteousness. You never got the imputed righteousness. As if imputed righteousness would practice would produce practical righteousness, there's a whole problem right there. Okay, there's, there's just so many issues here, but then they can never tell you exactly how much practical righteousness is required to prove that you're saved. Is it 5%, 10%, 20%, 30%? Well, how much desperation do I need? Now, I will 100% stand in agreement that the average Christian is not that desperate for God, is not hungering and thirsting after righteousness, is not seeking first the kingdom of God, is not loving the Lord thy God with all their heart, mind, body, and soul. No, the average Christian falls short in every single one of these areas, which is interesting because that would seem to indicate that we can't look for any other indicators to determine salvation because this would tell us we're perpetually in disobedience. That's why we need the imputed righteousness of Christ. But that's okay. Depending on which sermon they preach, you never know what you're going to get. But in this particular case, it's like, you're not desperate enough. And I agree that we're not desperate enough. And I think sometimes when we are desperate, you know what we're desperate for? Not for God. We're desperate for his help, his power, him to solve a problem. That I want to make sure we understand it's very different to be desperate for God. You want God, you need God, you want his word, you want his presence, whatever, however, whatever phrases you want to use. It's one thing to desire God. It's another thing to say, God, it's not so much you that I need. I need you to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G right? It's like, hey, I need you to give me these things, fix these things, help me with these things. I don't really care about you. I just, I care about what you can do for me. Sometimes our desperation is a, is motivated by a sinful, a sinful nature and a sinful uh, desire and wrong motivations. So even, even if we are desperate, we have to then question why are we desperate for the right reasons for the right thing? In many cases we would be like, woe is me, I am undone. But how do you how do you tell people? I'm sorry, you 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 you've hindered the presence of God because you're not desperate enough. Like I I I don't. I, and again, what is this? How does this extra presence different differ from the internal, the internal presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit? See, these, these kinds of things preach is good, and it will get people convicted. And people are like, oh, I, you're right. You're right, Pastor. I don't, I'm not desperate enough for God. I fall so short. I fall so short. Okay, well, you need to work on it. Make sure you're this way. And then they will get, come up with, uh, you know, New Year's resolutions. They will come up with their goals. They'll come up with their plans. They're going to work. They're going to strive. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And all it does is lead them to a perpetual state of disillusionment, discouragement, despondency, and frustration. And that's literally all they say in, the, in, the, in that article for that point. I, I know I could add a separate point to it and I could finish this series, but I, I committed myself to just looking at one point at a time. That's why I went long in my introduction, because I knew there was very little to do with this point. So here's what I want to do with this. I know we're talking about this whacked out idea about God's presence and what it is and how you get it and how you lose it. And, and it's just... It's just so crazy. But I want to step back from that and look at this bigger picture because I believe this is a symptom of a deeper issue. And this is what I really want you to focus on and think about. I want you to think about in your own Christian life and in the life of your church, things that have just become the language of the church, the language of your Christian life. You just say the phrases. You say the ideas. You say the concepts. It just It just rolls off your tongue. It's just second nature. You just, this, this, thing. and But you've never really stopped to take that language and to really place it under a microscope and really examine it. You've never taken some of those things you say and take it to its logical conclusion. Because I think if you do that, so many times you'll be like, man, we, we've been saying these phrases and these ideas, but if we take it to the logical conclusion, that would mean... And you're like, we don't mean that. We don't mean that. Christians will walk around and and tell everyone, hey, 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 you now have power. You can say yes to God, no to sin. You're a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. Practically, we preach it that way. Well, then what would be the practical ramifications of those statements? Sinless perfection would not only be possible, not only would it be plausible, it it would be basically expected But clearly, we're not a new creature practically, right? Because the old nature is still there. Obviously, not everything has become new practically. Everything positionally has, but we don't draw that distinction. You tell everyone they now have the power to say yes to God and no to sin, Sinlessness is possible and plausible. I said, well, we won't do it perfectly. Once the the minute you say we can't do it a certain level, then you can't say that I have the power to say yes to God and no to sin because you just limited said power. When you tell everyone that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, well, then you are claiming that all Christians should have all truth. That There should be one Christianity, one Bible, one commentary, one church. Because what's the Holy Spirit leading us into all truth? And we're thousands and thousands and thousands of groups and nobody agrees on anything. Not only that, if you take it to its logical conclusion, if you say the Holy Spirit's leading you into all truth, then all of your conclusions would have to be right because they came from the Holy Spirit making you infallible, making you basically the Pope. Obviously, I reject the pope. I'm just saying you cre- you're just recreating the same idea, except you're just be- you've just elected yourself as a pope. It doesn't need the you know, it doesn't need the cardinals to vote. You just you just did it. I guess you just went into your house and and, you know, you you, you sent out the white smoke, letting them know a new pope. it was it? The, is it the white? Yeah, white smoke. A new pope has been elected black. Black smoke is, it's, uh, we, we haven't come to a conclusion yet. If I remember how that works. Next time they, the next time a, a, a Pope is being elected, watch what happens in Rome and you'll see what I'm talking about. All right. Um. So, but that's what I want you to see is that Christianity just creates these concepts. Like this whole idea, the presence of God. They write praise songs about it. And Christians just, the words just flow out of their mouth without ever thinking about it. Ooh, God was present today. Okay, wait, he was present. Isn't he present every day? We felt his presence. Well, why? How did you feel it? Is it because the lights were turned down and the instruments stopped playing and everybody was singing a cappella? and then it was just the ladies? And then all of a sudden you're like, I feel his presence. Or you just felt emotional manipulation. Like, what do you mean by that? Oh, you know, it'll be a revival service. Can you feel that brothers? The spirit of God is, isn't he always present? So what do you mean? Omnipresent, special presence, internal presence, extra presence. Which presence are you referring to? Nobody bothers to explain it. No one bothers to clarify anything. We say, I can do all things through Christ. But then we'll say, okay, well, what would be the logical conclusion there? Unless you really explain it. Well, I mean, I, I've, I've given you examples when I was in the military, doing my, you know, doing PT, physical training, we had to run, what I don't know how many, two miles, three miles, whatever we, we had to run. And when when it was, when I wasn't being tested, when I wasn't being tested, I was usually taking my time, I'm, I'm doing the bare minimum. And then when it was test time, I would put forth the effort to get the high score so that I could get the three day pass because, but I didn't, if I, if I, I didn't care about doing all the other stuff. Well, I don't know how many times we'd be out doing some kind of training and I'm just barely, you know, jogging because I don't care. I mean, I, I, when, when the test, when it's time for the test, I care. But other than that, I don't. And my commander, she would run by, you can do all things through Christ. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with this. Has nothing to do with this. You know, I've seen UFC boxing. I, You know, they got it tattooed on their bodies. I can do all things through and get knocked out. And you're like, well, that, that didn't work out so good. See, we say the phrase. Now, the phrase is biblical, but we say it and then we start using it in a way that obviously goes beyond any clear application of the text. Just think of all the ways that our Christian language, or I'm going to say our church language, has convoluted doctrine and theology to the point that it's it's like a it's like a ball of yarn that's uh, that you can't unravel. It's just like wh- okay, where's the beginning of this? Like yeah, I don't know if you've ever had a bunch of cords all wrapped together, and you're like I, how? And like about fifteen minutes, you just want to throw the cords down and say, just go buy new ones because I can't untangle these things. Sometimes listening to Christians, I'm like I don't understand. So can I obey or can I not obey? Am I saved by imputed righteousness or am I actually saved by an infused righteousness? Am I saved because of what God did or, or am I saved by what I do? Wait a minute. So do I have a new nature, an old nature, a new heart, old heart? Like how many different parts of me are there? Can anyone agree? Wait, how many different presence of God is there? Is omni, special, internal, extra? And and, I, and like this one only comes about if I absolutely surrender. And now now if I'm not desperate enough, I lose it. Like what what does this even mean? And I don't know the solution to this problem. I, I guess really what I'm doing today is I'm just using this as an opportunity to really just express my own frustration. We, we've been, uh, someone in the Discord channel has been reviewing a book on the Ten Commandments that was talked about in our series, Understanding Law and Gospel. And just, just trying to, just looking at the things that book says, sometimes you're just like, I don't even understand what they're saying anymore. Like, can I? Can I not? What can I do? What can't I do? Like, can I obey? Can I not obey? What's the answer? And why is all the answer has nothing to do with, the gospel has to do with sanctification. Like, what is going on here? And it's maddening. So I'm going to offer a couple of solutions. The church, Christianity, pastors, the pulpit, we've got to stop with allowing the sermon, allowing the Sunday school lesson, allowing the teaching to get in way of the text. I've been, this has been a theme in 2022 that so many times I believe sermons actually blind people from the text and keep people from the text and actually dealing with the text in a real and honest way. We just come up with words that we say about the text. It's called a sermon. And we come up with cool little phrases, come up with little ideas, and we just impose it upon the text. And everyone hears the words, walks away with the words, and never actually sees the text. Now, this is, this is very, it's not always easy to detect, but a lot of times I'll, you know, someone will be preaching and I'll look at the text and I'm like, oh, okay, well, what about this? And what about this? And then they go on for 40 minutes showing, throwing out all of these great points, all of these powerful phrases. You're like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. And, but you, when you really think about it, like, wait a minute, does that, does, does that have anything to do with what the text actually says? You'll hear me do that a lot of times in my, um, uh, sermon reviews, I'll be like, well, wait a minute, what does that have to do with the actual, the text doesn't even actually say that. They'll, they'll quote the text and then talk for 20 minutes and make it say something that the text never actually say, actually says, keeping people from the text. We've got to try to get to the text. And, and, and sometimes dealing with the text, it's not a nice, cute, three-point sermon. It doesn't feel all nice and organized. Sometimes it's messy, and we stumble, and we struggle, and we're like, well, what about this, and what about this, and what about that? We've got to get more to that. I think that's the first thing. Number two, when we have these little sayings and ideas and concepts, we always have to take them to their logical conclusions to see where we end up. So many times, if we'll just take it to its logical conclusion, we're going to fall off the cliff. But we won't take it to its logical conclusion. If you'll just, you hear what some Christians say, and you'll just go, okay, so you're saying that, right? Am I hearing you right? All right, well, then that would mean... And when you try to take them to what that would mean, they're like, well, no, 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 I'm not saying that. Then what are you saying? <laughs> you, you, got, you got to explain to me. Because then many times, the, the minute you take them to the logical conclusion, as they get closer to the logical conclusion, you can almost see a panic in their face. They're like, no, 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 okay, no, no, no. That's not what I meant. Well, that's what you've said. And the reason you've been saying it It's because you got sermons, you didn't get the text. You got Bible lessons, you didn't get the text. There's a big difference between a sermon and a Bible lesson versus actually studying the text. We've got to take these phrases to their logical conclusion. Now, I could probably say more, but I think those are two very important concepts right there. when you say oh you have the presence but then you hinder the presence lose the presence simply because you're not desperate enough i've got to take that to its logical conclusion who is ever who is every who is ever desperate enough if the biblical standard of being desperate enough is you seek the lord thy god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind you seek first the kingdom of god when you when you start placing it in those terminologies right you seek god above you hunger and thirst after righteousness People fall short of those continually. So then what does that mean for God's presence? Well, now I've lost the extra presence. Well, what does it mean if I lose the extra presence? Now I no longer have the power and I no longer have. So wh- where does that leave my Christian life? Look, you've got to explain these things. All right. I don't know if I feel like I've accomplished anything in this in this broadcast, Or if I've just expressed something. I don't know if I've accomplished anything, but I've got at least an opportunity to express. I'm just exhausted dealing with so many of these issues. I'm just like, oh, I'm so tired of dealing with this. Because you just talk in circles and circles and circles and circles and circles. And the people who argue with you will not stop to listen. They won't. you, You try, it's, there's nothing worse than trying to take someone saying, okay, that's what you believe. Let's take it to its logical conclusion. And then they always come back. Well, that's not what I meant. Well, what did you mean? And then they try to explain again. You try to take it to its logical conclusion and you just go round and round and round. And you just want to say, you know what? I give up, but I, 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 it's not, I know I say, it's Christianity, but I just understand I, there is a difference between Christianity and churchianity. The church creates its own language, its own traditions, its own ideas, its own concepts, while yet claiming that those ideas, concepts, and traditions are biblical. Sometimes when you really listen to it, you're like, uh, nope, that's all show and no. Biblical substance. Your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com Newsif at yahoo.com Newsif at yahoo.com The responses to this should be enlightening if not controversial because I have a high... I'm pretty convinced there's a high likelihood, high probability that some of my words are going to be completely misunderstood, but we will see what happens. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. God bless.